Hey, Evan, Will, how you doing, Ed, from L.A.? I'm watching this debacle, uh, Virginia Tech game uh, with NC State. Four minutes to go in the first, 17 nothing Tech, and I think it's going to be like a blowout 45-13 loss. Um, everything Virginia Tech does is going for positive yardage. State looks terrible on both sides of the ball. Uh, we know how this one's going to end. <laughs> There's no way that State recovers from being down this much. They're going to get humiliatingly blown out and uh i don't know maybe this is who they are uh really disappointed but you know virginia tech obviously isn't missing all those players that they have out for coronavirus uh really sad to see i'm gonna turn it off here i just can't watch anymore i'm sure you all have a great uh, post-game podcast uh, i'm sure it won't be festive but uh anyway <laughs> uh i think they are who we thought they are this team is no good they're gonna have a losing season what else is new take care well, Ed, you're right. This is not going to be festive. And I, I, I don't know what else to say after that one. Um, I do understand and appreciate Ed's disappointment. My favorite part about Ed calling in, he calls in a lot, at least us messages, which we really appreciate, is the fact that he did it before this game was even over. It was This game was 17-7, within reach, you know, reasonable. And he's like, nope, nope, I'm, I'm calling in and I'm done. So I, pre- I appreciate that. Ed always keeps it real, and I feel like a lot of fans feel the same way as Ed does. Ed does there, and Ed's he says a, it. Ed's a man who's been through who's been through the shit. He knows. That's uh... <laughs> Ed has seen it all in in uh, regards to Wolfpack Athletics. That is for sure. Well, if you think about it, it's only been that Mike Glennon game against Maryland that we've ever come back from. You know, an utter collapse for three quarters. So. I don't blame him. Um, man, that was just that was just so hard to watch. And uh, it's funny. I was the first two weeks, I guess, right before that game, probably right before three minutes into that game. It, it was like, oh, man, I'm so excited. Can't wait to watch. T- trying to get all the stuff done all day to keep myself busy so I can finally get to game time and see an exciting match. And then um, and then 2019 NC State showed back up. Yep. You know, that's to me, that's the hardest thing to, to swallow is, you know, last year's four and eight rebuilding injuries. Got it. You got to show progress this year. Wake was maybe a glimpse of progress and VT was just a complete regression. And that just doesn't sit well with me. And that really makes it hard to swallow. It just. So much was bad with this game, and, and we'll get into specifics. But just overall, just the team wasn't prepared, and it's once it's another. You know, we saw it maybe West Virginia, and people referenced the Boston College game from last year. It just came out soft, and just like I'm sitting here, like, I, what is this team, man? Where's that weight game team? Yeah, I, well, I think I would say it was definitely more BC than um, than West Virginia, and even not even that. I mean. West Virginia, we got punched them out, but at least we punched right back for the first half. Um, yeah. You know, this was just like, it was almost like the defense didn't game plan for anything. And what was weird to me is after the game, Doran saying, yeah, they did things differently. We, we game plan for one thing and they did something else. You know, like, I'm, I'm not a coach, but... I watched just a couple condensed games before this game and I saw a lot of the same stuff. I did not see very, you know, the the blocking scheme was very similar, you know, instead of maybe doing jet sweeps, 
they were a little bit more north south in the run game, but like that doesn't explain all the gaps you were just leaving wide open. And you know, to me, this is just another example of you know, I don't think <laughs> Doran just doesn't seem to be able to coach his way out of a wet bag at times. And uh, you know, I, I'm I'm trying to. I can't really judge Tim Beck because he's work. He was working with Hockman, but why were we? Why were we even still playing Hockman in the second quarter at that point? Like you've seen enough. He's doing the exact same crap that he's been doing for for however many snaps he got last year. Like this is what I was talking about with with James and and when we talked after that game. Same old Bailey Hockman. He just wasn't throwing picks that game. And then you finally see it. He can't seem to throw across his body. Um, he, he stares guys down. He gets yippy and then won't even make the obvious reads. Like, wh- why did you put him out there? And unless I, I would, unless I was really thinking Dorn was going to come out and be like, the reason we played Hawkman is we thought we didn't think Leary was ready and we didn't want to put anything on the, on the tape for, for Pitt. I wish he would have just said that because. I'm left here hearing him say, well, we got to split reps between Leary and Hawkman. And if that ain't coach speak and, and subterfuge, then Doran's just an idiot. I'm, I'm done. If, if I see Hawkman take a snap in the pit game. Hawkman was so bad. And like, I, I want to go back and, and go through what you just said. I'm just sitting here. I'm just nodding my head. Yes, I agree. Yes. Yes, I agree. He was so bad. I got the, you know, our hope we talked about after the wake game was, that he had progressed and that what we saw was him progressing, but he definitely showed signs of being the same player and not, you know, back foot throws, one reads and man, did all that come to light in this game? Like it was so obvious. I was just watching this game back before we started recording. And, you know, the first, the first pass play, it was end up being a sack. Hawkman's, he looks right at Thayer Thomas, who's wide open. The Virginia Tech defense was off. They had bunched, the linebackers had bunched up. Something was wrong there. And he doesn't throw it. He hesitates. He looks again to the, the sideline where he started and he gets sacked. And, and like, at first, I'm sitting here going back through this in my head after watching the game. Like, man, the offensive line was really bad, but a lot of that's got to be on Bailey because I think he was tentative his decision making was terrible you know all the things we saw that that he did well in that weight game where he would you know pull down and run he'd make good decisions for the most part he didn't do that in this game and that was just a complete regression and what really got me about Dorn is not that he didn't play in the second quarter is is what he said about halftime is we didn't talk about it at halftime in reference to you know where are you going to put Leary in like you didn't talk about it at halftime. Did you watch that first half? Did you see how bad that was? Do you remember 2019? Why is if he's so stubborn that you know, I don't know what there was happening in practice, but when you come to the games, like how can you be so stubborn to see that first half and say, "All right, Bailey's not in the right mindset today. He's got not got it today. Let's put somebody else in." Well, Evan, I can tell you why. It's because we went punt, interception, punt, 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 touchdown, punt, and then field goal. So you think down thirty-one ten, like we're on the up and up then, 
you know, we're getting the ball coming out of the second half. We should, we should just, we should just go, Oh wait, we, we, we probably, we probably threw a, a interception to start the, the second half. Oh, well, uh Oh, I, 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 I was so, I'm so fed up. I was so frustrated with that. And like, it's Wednesday and I'm still like coming down from that. Just like disgust. I went through the whole Wolfpack fan cycle. I was pissed. Then I was like, disappointed and sad and now i'm back to angry i'm like why are we here like what is this how could you say something like that and i and i got in with james on twitter about it after the game and you know doran was like yeah we were out coached and i I don't even care what he said but his whole there was nothing behind it it was the same monotone just BS that he gives after every loss. It's ah, oh, you know, we were out coached, and you know, we got to do better. We got to get the guys in. Like, show me you're going to kick somebody's ass. Like, you don't have to yell and scream, but you have to show some level of passion and like disappointment. And you have to connect with the fans. It's not nece- it's not about just getting angry and riling people up. Like half of his job, part of his job is connecting with the fans and he is not doing that at all. After that game, his whole demeanor, which I'm just like, man, this, this is, this is not it. This is not it. I just, I'm disappointed. I'm I'm so disappointed. Yeah. He, I I mean, honestly, I, I just, I don't know with these people. Um, Larry must've done something really stupid. Or, you know, just must be a colossal screw up because it ain't that hard for you to go in there and hand the ball off 60% of the snaps and then take some shots. You know, it's like people say, people are like, oh, Leary probably doesn't know the offense. Look how slow it was when he came in. Well, I, I saw him throwing the ball pretty easily to our wide receivers. And I don't care that they were sloughed off in, in some kind of soft, weak zone. You can see him placing the ball with velocity where it's supposed to be. And the fact is, is that if Larry or if Hockman had been in that game and we had driven down there and had to throw that, uh, that route to um, Riley, I don't think that ball comes out on time with the velocity in the position that needs to be. And I'm just so sick and tired of, you know, the, well, you know, he, he's doing everything right. Like he's, Hockman is not doing everything right because he gets exposed immediately once he's in the game. I, I, I'm just, I, I cannot believe that they trotted him out there. And, you know, because I think Dorn is like such a sucker for um, like the great narrative. Well, you know, he won and I, I don't know what it would do to our narr- to our, to our locker room. If, if we took him out after the wake game, well, I'll tell you what it would do. Uh, the, the team would have a lot more confidence in the passing game. And, you know, just what a fuck. Your, play, your best players have to play. Like, I mean, that's that's what it comes down to me. And especially the quarter, this quarterback position with this team, you don't need him to throw 40 times a game. You don't need him to be Joe Montana. You don't need him to be Phillip Rivers. Like, run the damn ball, run some play actions, and be done. You can throw it 20 times a game and be really successful with the talent you have, right? The offensive line is run blocking really well. The running backs are really good. That's it. Give Bam a lot more touches. Stop splitting rotations with guys that don't make a lot of sense to be there. Like, 
I don't know. It was so frustrating. Like to me, he's just so stubborn. It's what it comes off of. It comes off as he's really stubborn with, all right, we got this rotation. We got this game plan. This is what we're going to do. You know, we've seen it on defense where guys like, you know, critical third downs, you don't have your best players in. And it's the same thing. Like, what are you doing? Is this, you're sticking to this, this plan, this formula that's got you to 22 and 36 in ACC play. Like, that's not it, man. But it got you there when you had quarterbacks that were competent. You know, Ryan Finley was really good at dissecting and processing a defense and making the right reads. He didn't just stick to number one the whole time. Jacoby Brissett was really good because when the play did break down, he could still make plays with his legs, keep it going, and be a threat. And he's, I mean, you got two NFL quarterbacks, one who's actually done more, which is Jacoby. So, like, you know, if you look back on it, I'm more disappointed that we didn't get to maybe maximize uh Brissett's ability because of the Mac Canada system but you know your system only works when you optimize it and for the most part they did that with those two quarterbacks as best they could I think we were maybe we we're a little limited at wide receiver with Jacoby at that time but when I think about it like this game it's like why are you not just pounding the ball on the ground and, you know, your quarterback is obviously so limited and you are not doing things to help them. Like, that's where I'm kind of confused. I'm like, why did Beck think this was going to be the game plan that worked? Why did why why did the, the coaches come behind the decision of, hey, you know, you know what worked last time? Like riding the ground as much as we needed to. And this time it was like, hey, why don't we come out, go empty and let this guy who has a freaking super soaker of an arm, you know, try to try to win this game in the air. I don't know what they were thinking. Uh, yeah, I don't either. I'm pulling up the box score because I didn't check beforehand how many passes versus rushes we had. Uh, that's first downs. Rushing attempts, 42 rushing attempts, 33 pass attempts. That's not good enough, man. That's throwing it too much. And I wonder, yeah, I mean, I guess 16 of those were – Bail, uh, Leary at the end when they're down a gazillion points. I don't know, man. Run the damn ball. <laughs> they ran it, you know, 170 yards, five and a half a carry. Like, that's good enough to win a lot of games. How many? I mean, why you get away from that? How many attempts did Hawkman have in Wake? Right? It was rushing like, attempts? No, uh, passing attempts. Oh, 22 or something we said last week. Yeah, right? 23, right? And he had 16 by yeah. the time we yanked him out of the game. You know, like I, I just don't, I don't I don't understand what they were doing. I you know I I can see you say, well, you know, Virginia Tech's down a bunch of cornerbacks, uh, uh, and maybe we're going to attack them vertically. Like, no, set your guy up for success. Suck them in with play action and get them committed to the box so he can take vertical shots. The most frustrating thing to me in the world is those Virginia Tech quarterbacks suck balls at throwing, and yet all they're doing is just taking vertical one-on-one shots. And it isn't that hard to make that happen. Like, right. I don't understand why, you know, Qu- Quentin Patterson or Quincy Patterson, he doesn't have a good arm. You know, this Burmeister guy, like, they, they look like trash. And all they're doing is what every team se- seems to do to us every time we lose and lose badly. They're just taking these simple one-on-one shots that are like, well, he'll go up and catch that ball or he won't. Maybe he'll get past interference. You know, it's just... It, 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 I just, it's not that hard. You got such a good running game. You should be able to set that play up consistently. 
Very Virginia good. Tech threw it 17 times, completed 11 of them. Patterson was four for six, and Burmeister was seven for 11. Like, they didn't have to do anything. This is their third, second and third string quarterbacks. And why we're not doing that, right? It's the same thing we did against Wake is we outmanned them. We ran the ball and then gave Hockman easy throws. And out here you come out throwing, coming three wide, come out empty sets. I'm like, what the, what is this? I, I don't know, man. It's, it's really confusing. Really disappointing to see that. I, I'm just not. Even, I'm not just not even sure. Like, what's the problem here? We talked about. You just talked about. You know, they didn't get the most out of the Jacoby years and the Finley years. The common denominator here is Dort. Like, what is happening where these things are? You're not maximizing these guys, and that's that's a question I think a lot of people should start asking themselves, start thinking about. Like, what's happening? Why is this the way it is? Um. We got some questions. There have been several games where the first quarter has been disaster under Dave, spanning multiple teams. What do you attribute this to? And then, yeah, I like. I don't know. I'm, I think that's part of part of it is that they're they have this game plan, and either it's I don't want to say poor preparation is not the right word, but it's maybe not strategically thinking. You're not looking at what. Or maybe you're looking at what they've done historically and not thinking, all right, they're going to adjust based on what we do defensively, right? And like something there, you know, if if I watch that Wake game, if I'm if I'm Justin Fuente and I watch that Wake game and I see, all right, Wake had success running this mesh, but most of those was, were counters, right? They ran inside and then they popped it back out. They ran counter runs, off tackle, plays repeatedly. How do we not prepare for Virginia Tech to, to realize, hey, we can do the same thing. We have better running backs, too, in a bigger offensive line. Like, And that's what they did. If you watch that first touchdown play for the first play of the game, they ran the like, same counter. They brought it inside. Our guys all collapsed, and they bounced it back out and went the other direction. Yeah, I think part of this so, – I mean, I thought one of the yeah, issues no, was – um, you know, Peyton Wilson not being playing, you know, we're kind of talking, okay, hey, we're losing a linebacker and that group is so deep, blah, blah, blah. Well, they shifted Drake Thomas over to Peyton's position. And to me, it just seemed like Drake was not really doing what he was supposed to do. He would just fly through the line, not really manage the gap, and then just be out of the play. And it just seemed like the plan was, oh, just go be aggressive instead of be disciplined. And this is like two games now that we've kind of seen this. Um, So I don't know if that's just a mentality. I don't, you know, maybe Gibson just, maybe his system doesn't work. Maybe it's fair to just say, look, they still had to do basically another install uh, after Hux left and we lost spring practice. And this is a team that clearly, you know, they're they're in the beginning stages of installs on both sides. So maybe we are expecting too much out of the guys, you know, from that perspective. I mean, maybe it's just that simple. Maybe that's the reason these guys aren't super disciplined because they can't really play fast and think through the system. So maybe they're saying, just go play fast and try to make plays. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, so I agree with you. I was watching this game back beforehand, and Drake was – he ran himself out of the – out of the play quite often. Uh, 
you know, watching the first half, like there were some things. There was one play, I think it was their first or second touchdown play, and he looks like he moves towards the backfield when there's nobody in his assignment zone, and the guy just goes, and the running back just goes right by him. The tackle picked him up and just threw him out of the play, and just like not even close. But he wasn't the only problem, right? It's I don't want to give them a pass. I don't want to give the defense the scheme, the install pass. These guys, these kids are good enough football players that they should be able to understand, hey, this is a 3-3-5. This is your base defense. You should be able to execute that. So before this podcast, I went out and started reading up about 3-3-5. I'm not super technical football guy. So I started reading. I wanted to learn. I wanted to see what it was about. And a couple of things stood out to me. One, the, the common theme and it's a common misconception is that this defense is designed to stop the spread. That's not exactly what it's there for. It's there to, to create disruption. It allows you to use undersized. I think somebody, I think one of the sites were, um, described it as replacing size with speed, right? Use undersized players to create that disruption. One of the things that I was, I was watching Charlie Strong's 335 at USF watching some of the Louisville tape, watching West Virginia, Texas Tech, they got these teams that have run the 3-3-5. Again, none of them great defenses. But what you're looking for is to create disruption and create turnovers. One of the things the state has done historically bad under Dave, and especially the last few years, is create turnovers. And the 3-3-5 is there to create that disruption. Now, if you go back and watch our game against Virginia Tech, and I should probably go back to the weight game and look this up too. Our defensive line, it lines up in a traditional, you know, base three and goes straight ahead. They're not creating a disruption. The linebackers are not creating a disruption. And one of the concepts that Charlie Strong talks about in some interview is we stunt our defensive lines and we twist them every down. You twist and you stunt means you, you know, swap positions, you curl around. Just getting that movement, you want to create that disruption with the offensive line. And we are not doing that. I watched I watched this game over again and looked for that, and it was very little disruption, very little stunts. And that's how they create confusion with the offensive line is by doing these things and by you know moving your defensive line and giving your linebackers different reads. And, man, all I kept seeing was our guys go straight ahead kept seeing our linebackers drop in, either get bunched up, and it just it doesn't work. And these teams are running counters on us. They cut inside, our team, our guys collapse, and they bounce it back out, and they're gone. And it's something is not right there. Did they not have enough time to teach that? I think that's very strange if that's the case. Or they just – I don't know. <clears throat> Gibson said he wanted to create turnovers. He wanted to create disruption. We're not blitzing. And that's one of the things you're supposed to do with this 3-3-5. You're supposed to bring creative blitzes. You're supposed to you know, bring it from different angles and your different linebackers, get different gaps. Like I'm reading these middle school coaches diag- you know, break down the 3-3-5 and like we're not doing any of that stuff. And that's like middle school concepts. I don't know. I don't understand what that is about. I don't think – I'm not a big believer in scheme is the problem. Mm-hmm. Like your scheme should fit your personnel. Like, I don't think three three five or four three it makes too much of a difference. But if you're not executing it in a you know the 
the best way. These teams, these coaches are too good. Like Fuente is too good of an offensive coach to run that same thing over and over again and for him not to pick up on it. I just, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I know I'm off on a tangent here, but it, what they should have done and what they've claimed to do, Gibson has always claimed to do, is to be multiple. We haven't been multiple. There haven't been any times where you, you know, third and one, third and short, and you bring four defensive linemen in and you're running, you know, four, three, three, four, anything. Like they're, they're not switching up like they claim to do. And that's what all. People, all these coaches are saying with the three three five is it's designed to be almost gimmicky and different. And Tony Gibson said, "Hey, we're not looking to give up." Here's I'll, I'll read his quote here: "The greatest example of how this is from the Texas Tech, and they were breaking down Gibson's defense. Greatest example of how Gibson chooses to view certain stats, but there are others. He wants a lot of defense to be defined by yards it allows per game. Okay, I think that's fair. He instead knows scoring points matters." In most circle and circles, three factors that should keep opponents from scoring. He wants to get three and outs, third down stops, and turnovers. We're not doing any of those. <laughs> We're not doing any of those. Which, and I, I mean, one more thing. It goes on to say he knows he knows the way his defense is structured with disguised coverages and unpredictable blitzes. It gives his players greater odds to win that down. We are not doing that for whatever reason. Like, I don't understand that. Sorry, go. That was 10 minutes of me ranting about 335. Uh, man, I, there's no, I got no words right now. Uh, I just, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think a lot of it does come down to talent. I think we got a bunch of, to use the phrase, we got a bunch of jags on the line, is what I feel like right now. And it's because, I mean, mainly it's because they're a bunch of young guys, so I'm not surprised. But it's just like you got a lean McNeil, and then you've just got a bunch of pieces around him. And right. when the most dynamic person on your line is is a tackle, you know, it, it's going to limit you. And this is where having Gunter, Lias, or Baltipelli, just somebody that is an athletic freak coming off the edge could help kind of fix this defense. And I feel like I was raising the flags uh, in the off season when those guys were bouncing out of the program. And I was told, Oh, we'll be fine. And, and it's no big deal. You can make up for it. Blah, blah, blah. You know, Oh, there's not enough room for these guys, but like you can't lose your best defensive ends and then be surprised that we're not really doing anything on, on past defense. You know, we're just leaving these guys hanging because our issue has been that our defensive backs need help. And I just, I guess I'm not surprised. I guess what I don't understand is why, the other guys, when it comes to run defense, just seem to be standing there and, and holding on to people and hugging instead of getting that push that we're used to seeing out of the, um, the NC State defensive lines. So I, I don't know if I don't know if Charlie saw something different in this game or the others and, and you know they just weren't ready. Are these the few teams on the schedule that are going to cause a lot of problems for us and we don't have to worry as much going forward? I, I don't know. Um, you know, it's just, look, we're, we're down another safety. I just, I, I just feel like we're seeing the slow motion train wreck, which was last year, which was, we didn't lose everybody up front. We just started losing guys one or two at a time each game and at, at similar positions. And then all of a sudden we were dead. And 
you know, Pitt is going to attack our secondary uh, all game. If, um, you know, I think I saw Isaac Duffy was on the two deep, you know, like, yeah, that's the problem. You know, I don't, frankly, I'd, I'd rather us not bring Tanner Engel back and let him get another week off for his hamstring. I'd rather lose this game than, than hopple him for the remainder of the schedule. Maybe I'm wrong in doing that. So maybe I do want to see Isaac Duffy. Um, but you know, (laughs) it's just, it's just the same shit, different day. And that's why I'm sitting here saying like, why are you even fiddling around saying that Leary isn't the, the starter? Because we, I've seen enough like Hawkman is a turnover machine and you cannot win games in the negative on the turnover margin. And he is going to be a problem going forward. I don't care if Leary is inaccurate. He can hand off the ball and then he can take deep shots and see if we can chunk chunk play our way to to a win or two. Because you can't win if if we keep playing the way if we see another Virginia Tech performance. Maybe Virginia Tech is that damn good. Maybe they were just firing on all cylinders. I don't know. But that did not look like a team that had been suffering through a COVID crisis and had been sent out for weeks and hadn't gotten a chance to work out the kinks. I, I don't know either. We're that bad or they're that good. How bad is wake? If that's the case, wake sucks. <laughs> I, you know, like wake obviously is going to have a regression. <laughs> like, you know, again, like they did have a bunch of guys that were out for our game. So I'm not surprised, you know, and people are like, well, the, the so-and-so was back, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't care. They weren't back and they weren't ready. Um, you know, again, maybe v- VT is just special. They had a lot of starters returning. You know, I don't know how many guys, you know, aside from Hooker, I don't know how many relevant guys were held out in that 23-person um, uh, holdout. But, you know, the fact is you were down to the third-string quarterback at one point this game, and they were scoring with ease. And they didn't have a def- their defensive coordinator was out. I don't know how, you know, I don't know if Bud Foster was working with whomever and this wasn't as big of a surprise. So maybe they were more prepared for that element. Um, but it's just, there's just no excuse for, you know, being surprised. How many times do you see like a quarterback get knocked out and the game really not change going from QB one to QB three? Um, you know, like it's just it feels like a lot against us, to be well, honest. Yeah, I, I, just, I don't know. Maybe our coaches are idiots. I'm just – I'm really frustrated today. <laughs> I think our coaches are idiots. I, I mean, that's – it's harsh, but that's what it keeps coming back to. I, well, maybe they're – look, I don't think they're dumb. I think they are just – stuck. They're just stubborn. And, like, I, I don't – Maybe Larry only had how many throws did he make in this game? It was like what 10, 15? Um, you know, maybe he has a very condensed playbook, but you could have leveraged that in the second and third quarter and maybe kept this a closer game. And then maybe you're going to the fourth quarter and you're like at that point, you, you know, you hit the wall with Leary and it falls apart. But like the thing is just like we will never come back if Hawkman is in a game. I'm sorry. He can only win from ahead. He he is very limited in what he does, and it's not it's not his fault. It's just who he is right now. Either he can't be coached, or he can't you know be asked to do all these things. And you know, there's a reason he didn't win the job at FSU, and there's a reason he's basically never won the job here. 
You know, he's he's just a backup and he can go in and win you a game if he has to come in, you know, like for one time. But he's just a guy that, you know, you just can't expect much from him. Even like the UNC game last year, right? Didn't he come in late and throw a pick in that one? Um, you know, you just can't rely on him. And, and he tries really hard and he has, you know, taken some nasty shots and that's much appreciated. But... You know, Doran better figure this this stuff out because I can't sit here and just expect Aaron McLaughlin to show up next year if we have a train wreck season and him be some massive improvement because he's going to be a true freshman. Like, right? either Leary has got it and he's either got to fix his crap off the field or in practice or we're doomed. Hmm. You know... I don't even think the offense matters that much. Maybe it's not the offense. Maybe the quarterback. Because we can run we can run the ball. If they do this properly, if they run 70% of the time, there should take a lot of pressure. And they do a creative. They should take a lot of pressure off the quarterback. I have to assume they're going to do that. Because if they come out and throwing 30, 40 times a game, it's just that's going to be a long year for us. I, I don't know why they do it. I don't know why they came out and felt like we need to put more on Bailey after that last game. Your offense put up 45 points. You did what you wanted to. You, you came out of this game and you could run the ball. Uh, Bam had a good day running. Ricky had a good day running. You know, the – it, it, when your quarterback, when you ask too much of your quarterback and he puts you behind like that, right, throws a pick six, throws a interception in your second possession, that's bad, man. And that's that's on the coaches. It's on the quarterback. You know, it's 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 a little bit of everybody. They shouldn't put that on him. They should have known better to do that. It's like they I don't know what – maybe well. Bailey is a practice – yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, is Bailey a practice superstar? And like, yeah, he can do it. Like, because well, he's probably not having again. To face I'm not a football rush. analyst. <laughs> that's the other thing, right? So that's the real issue for me is the defense. There's no pressure. They're not doing anything. They they said they are. You know the the defensive backs. They haven't been great, but they're not been burned. They haven't gotten the turnovers, but they also are not getting any pressure. And so the quarterback's able to do what he wants. It's a single read thrown over the top. You know, Patterson was four for six, and he had some of the easiest throws ever. I just – the defense is really, really what what gives me pause. Because that defensive performance with the front six, I guess it is, is it's not good enough. I don't think it's a personnel issue. I think that's a BS excuse. From watching what they did in this Virginia Tech game, they it was very much a pattern with what they did with Huxtable. Was they played base defense. They didn't mix it up, right? It was that bend but don't break. It's the same concept. The common denominator is not Huxtable or not Gibson. It's Dave. And I, I, I feel like there's somebody, there's some influence happening there that is leading us to where we are now defensively. He's supposed to be a defensive coach. You got to be better than this. Break up a pass, get an interception, get some sacks. Like 
create some disruption. The Charlie Strong piece that I was reading talks about his psycho his psycho line, right? It, that's how he mixes it up. He brings six guys to the line. They'll stand up. You know, the Patriots do this too. Bring them up, stand them up, and you don't know who's coming. And they were, I'm reading, watching these clips and watching this film from Louisville, Miami. And Miami had five offensive linemen on that team that went to the NFL. And Louisville just ate them up. Just creating that disruption. You don't have to have the five stars there if you're schematically superior. If you can, your game plan is better. And, you know, offensively, right? If you go... And look at what happened this weekend. Mike Leach goes into Mississippi State, goes and plays LSU at LSU, breaks all kinds of SEC records, and just he's with a simple, better scheme, and they executed it better. And we don't have any of that, and we haven't had any of that. Do something different. Do it really good. And they're not, we're not doing anything different and we're not doing anything really good. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that Mississippi state team does as the the year goes on. Um, You know, it's like we said, I didn't want to play them with Mike Leach. I mean, they're that system is so easy to install and it is so friendly on skill players that, you know, it's, it's again, it's just like in college, you have a limited amount of time with your players. You should be running stuff that makes their life easier. And yes. I don't know if Beck does that or not. I mean, the run game looked, again, the run game did not look like a problem in this game. And so, you know, he, he seems to at least have been able to install that relatively simply. And I just, I'm sitting here going like, do we see Leary after this pit game? I mean, like, I'm, I'm just going not my expectations are so rock bottom for the pit game, but are we going to see him going forward? And is the offense going to look easy for his skill set? Is it going to look like something where it's realistic to say, yeah, I mean, he was, he missed two or three weeks of practice. We didn't want to throw him out there. We thought the worst thing we could do is, you know, put him in a bad situation. So, you know, unfortunately Hockman couldn't get it done. We had to put him in and he's just going to have to take his, his licks uh, and we're going to have to deal with it as a team. Like, you know, that's probably what they'll say. But, you know, I bet you could drop Leary into Mike Leach's system and he is putting up 3,500 yards without a problem. Easily. Because Correct. easily, Mike Mike Leach does it with just anybody. And KJ just, freaking Costello, who's a middle-of-the-road Pac-12 pack quarterback. I mean, exactly. And, like, that's, that's what's frustrating is – at NC State, you are not, in the short term, going to be winning tons of recruiting battles with elite teams. So you need to have systems that take advantage of that and give you the opportunity to stress test those teams. You know, you're, you're pro- you know, we're, we're probably never beating Clemson in this current era. Like, get over it. I don't care. So don't build a team to beat Clemson. Build a team to go clean up on everybody else. And I don't know if that's like hit yet for Doran. You know, like I see these preseason tapes, you know, of uh, like, you know, one or whatever. And they're like, you know, they're like yelling at the team, like, 
do you do you think you guys are gonna win an ACC championship? We're, what's our goal? Win the ACC championship? I'm like, that is a stupid goal right now. Just go <laughs> beat everyone else. You're not winning, and it's not, it's like when you see like a uh, like a, a, a presidential debate or like a political debate, and the person is like, when I'm president, when I'm senator, when I'm blah 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 blah, and I'm just like, you're not. I don't know if you are yet. So like, quit lying to yourself. That you, you know, it's like the guys that you're like, you'll remember during the Democratic debates. I don't know if you watch these or not, but they had what, like 15 people on the stage, and they're all yeah. like, when I'm president, when I'm president, I'm like, none of you have a freaking shot. So, like, quit deluding yourself and saying that that's how I feel when I hear we're going to be ACC champs. That's one of our goals. No, your goal should be to win eight games, nine games, 10 games. Show that you can even get in the realm of possibly being in that discussion. And I don't think that's a defeatist attitude. I think it's being realistic and saying like, hey, we need to go clean everyone else's clocks before we even think that we're going to knock these guys out. We'll give these guys our best shot, but that's not what we're building our season around. Our season's going to be built around beating the shit out of UNC and then beating the hell out of Cuse, Wake, uh, you know, whoever else pops up on the schedule. BC, like beat the the teams that are in your, your realm. And, you know, I, I just don't get that sense with Doran. I, I just... I feel like his priorities are off. He's just, I had so much hope for him when we hired him. And it's just like year after year, I'm just like, okay, cool. You're just a three and five or a five and three type coach. You are not going to get us to the promised land and you're going to do just enough in a few key spots to make us look good. But you know, he's just, has he like, yeah. So here's, here's my question. We, we got a lot of national love last week. We're all excited about it. Uh, I didn't even listen to any of these podcasts this week because it just – I don't want to hear it. Like their disappointment because it doesn't even begin to compare to mine. But the, the reality I had, really thought I had, our program is on the same level as Wake, Duke, Syracuse, I guess. Uh, but thinking about it in the context of locally – Wake and Duke, like, does that make? How does that make you feel? Is that a hypothetical? No, because <laughs> it's two private schools who who don't no. really care about football. Uh, no, uh, like I don't know that. I don't think we're on their level. I think we're above them. I bet, but I think the fact is is that you can basically group. You can essentially group. Well, what I'm saying, what I would say is, I don't know if we were having this conversation or maybe we were having this conversation with James, but it's like there's a grouping of schools that we are in the same realm as, but that we should be at least the top of their pecking order. And that's what frustrates me is there's really no reason that we should, we should be consistently beating a Syracuse, a BC, a Wake, a Duke. We, I'm, I'm fine if you want to trade back and forth with, with UNC. Um, there's no reason that a school like ours that has the fan support like ours that has the financial backing like ours in the past should struggle to put together a winning football program amongst everyone outside of Clemson and Florida State. Now, maybe you can say, well, it's not fair. We've always had to face those two and that's all, whatever. I don't care if you're going five and three every year and you're only losing one of the games between the other guys, fine. But like that's not who we've been. 
we've been like a, a, just a mediocre three and five, four and four, whatever. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but that's basically where we are historically. And, you know, if I'm boo and I'm taking a hard look at this, I can't do anything this year because we're, everyone is cash strapped at this point. Um, and probably the market is not going to have the people out there that you want to go target anyways, maybe. Um, but I would think that if, if this year just goes down the tubes, you know, he's not going to have season ticket sales in 2021 to, to rely on. And, you know, he may have to sit there and just, you know, tell Dave, it's like, if you don't win right now, like you're on buddy. Like, and I don't mean to put the pressure on you, but that's the reality. It's like, we got to move on. Our, our, our fan base is not going to keep giving us money to see, see the same crap, you know? And if we get in that situation, I don't, now I'm not on the Will Healy bandwagon. Like certain people on this podcast are just because I have not seen enough for me to be like, that guy seems to have it. But I would get someone that actually aligns with this fan base. I think we've talked about this before. Dave Doran, TOB are not our kind of people in, in for this fan base. Like we need someone, and I hate to say it, that's got that Southern polish that is energetic, that wants to show passion and connect with the fan base just as much as he shows passion and a connection with his players. And I think it goes a long way. That kind of person can run circles in the local media and get positive attention and draw it away from guys like Mac and Cutcliffe that, you know, everyone's just like, they just suck up to their, their folksy mentality. And I just think for, you know, we are a blue collar school, but that doesn't mean you have to be like just this boring ass blue collar outside exterior person. You can be blue collar and be of the people <laughs> like, and I think Boo, I hope, is if 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 he gets put in that position, that he makes a a culture and football hire, I guess. And I- what I what I like about Healy and just in general with what you're saying is that you gotta come here and play like you have nothing to lose because really you don't have anything to lose. Right? We we've given Dave eight years for 22 and 36, right? We've, you've got nothing to lose. Play like your ass is on fire. Coach like your ass is on fire. Like you can do whatever you want. You you have free reign to be creative and, you know, build the thing your way to do something exciting. And we get, you know, the Tom O'Brien, Dave Dorn, like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to work hard and do this way. You know, all right, great. I think Dave will be a great coach at a school like Georgia or Alabama where he's got the unlimited talent and all you have to do is put them out there in some base position and the talent is going to exceed. Yeah. That ain't it here. You have got to be unique, differentiate yourself. You've got to stand out and you know we just don't do that. So I, that's my frustration. I'm going to go through some of these questions that people sent in. We got touched on this one, but James asked, how did you take Dave's response at the press car press conference regarding the QB situation and not picking one? He's in reference to this pit game where the Bailey and Leary are listed as oars. I thought it was 
look, if there there's two ways to look at it. It's gamesmanship and he's trying to make them look at extra tape. Um or like I, stubborn wouldn't even be the word for it at that point. And I will say this, if I'm petting our doozy, uh, I'm not spending any time watching Bailey Hockman's tape. There's enough right. out there. Short yeah, all you got to do is sit there and cover the left side of the field to force him throw right. And within five to 10 passes, you're going to have a, a pick and potentially a pick six. So I'm not shaking my boots there. If I'm Pat Narduzzi or any other coach, I am studying our run game to try to limit the effectiveness running over the left side. And if Hockman's back there, I am high-fiving everyone on the sidelines and prepping for my victory dance. Yeah. Pitt, yeah, I'm with you. I like there's there's nothing to prepare for for Bailey. They're watching. I, I didn't like Dave's response. I thought it was as expected, right? I don't expect anything different from him at this point. I think that is very par for the course, man. Like, I don't know. We'll see how practice goes. Like, I know you watched that game. <laughs> Look, I know you saw what happened. Now, was it all garbage time with Virginia Tech? Maybe. I don't know. But I know you watched it, and you're going to tell me that you, you even think there's a chance Bailey starts that game. I think most people agree if Bailey even plays – you're you're gonna lose a lot of people, and it's only freaking week three. If you want to say like, "Hey, I've got to have Bailey ready in case something happens," so Larry, fine, yeah. but don't make it sound like it's up in the air, and I don't know what I'm doing. Because again, I don't think you're tricking Pitt, and all you're doing is antagonizing your fan base. Your fan base wants to feel like exactly. you have a plan and you are going to solve it. And when you say shit like that, it makes them all go. You know, like, I, I think I, I don't know if I texted you or my boss. I don't know who it was, but I was just like, this is the kind of crap that like turns NC State fans on Dave Doran. Like, we're not it's not that we want him to fail. It's that he triggers it. It's like he's trolling us almost, <laughs> you know, because he's like, oh, you know, this is my playbook. This is what we did when we were at Kansas. Like. You ain't in Kansas anymore, and that was a fluke of a program anyways. Like, you got to adapt. And he he is just, you know, it's like he can't just come out and say, he's like, yeah, we made a bad call. Made a bad I, call. I, yeah. Put him in a bad position, right? Yep. So I, agree with, I agree with you. Like, he antagonizes. I think that's a great way to say it. That's what I was trying to say earlier. Like, with his post game, we didn't consider Bailey or, like, or just his demeanor. Like he antagonizes, he brings it out of us when most of us just want somebody to be on our side and feel the frustration that we feel. Like pretend you're one of us. If, if you don't think that, like show it. I, I know we've seen it. You know, you get the behind the scenes footage and we've seen it. He's got it in him. Why he does these things where he just gives us the coach speak and like you're exactly it's, right. That's it drives us crazy. He, turns people on. He, he looks down on the media and he doesn't realize that the media is his vehicle to the fan base. Yeah. And you know, that's what it is. He is a smart person. I just think he does not understand that you run your program 
and you have to market your program. And he's so focused on running it that he does not remember to play the media and give them the sound bites that will get back to us fans and say like, Hey, everything's working out. Everything's gonna be okay. All you got to say is I didn't, we didn't think Leary was ready. We were hoping that Hawkman could work through it. We saw some positive stuff on that, you know, at the end of the second half that we thought, okay, maybe he's, maybe he's going to figure it out. Maybe we can scheme around him and protect him. Instead, you say, we didn't even consider it at halftime. <laughs> like, um, I almost, I almost lost it when I heard, when I read that or heard that. Like, it, but that's the kind of stuff where you just go, why are we paying this guy millions of dollars? You didn't even consider the most basic thing, which was, hey, should we consider going to Leary? You know, at, like at that point, you just need to come out and be like, you know, Leary punched my wife and that's why he's not getting a play. <laughs> you know, because not only are you, you know, it's like if you're trying to send a message like this is your fault, Devin, like, you know, if you had been more disciplined and hadn't gotten caught up in this COVID protocol, you know, the, the team would be in a better spot right now. I don't know why you're doing it like this. If, you know, like, it, it's kind of funny to me, like, Beck, I guess, like, went over to Leary in the game and was like, get ready, you're going in. And then he went over and, like, talked to Hawkman for, like, two or three minutes. I, you know, they talked about it during the game, you know, explaining what's going on. And I was like, what conversation do you need to be having? You are not doing a good job. We have to bench you. And, like, it, it is what it is. Like, if, if Hawkman can't process the statistics that he put up in that game and say, I do not deserve to be starting quarterback currently at this point, like, well, you don't need a, you don't need a talking to. If, if everyone is that fragile on this team, then, like, we're, we're in a bad spot. Because I think what you should be doing is you should say, Devin, you're going in the game. Play your game. You know, we're going to script you. This is what we would have done for your opening series at Wake or if you were playing another game. So we're going to hit your best plays. Be smart and, you know, go out there and play loose. You know, we, we don't have anywhere to go but down right now. So just go out there, show what you can do and hand the ball off and we'll get on the bus and, you know, we'll put you in a position to win next week. That's the conversation you should be having. Not like sitting there being like, hey, Bailey, like, I'm really sorry that you uh, literally have cost us the game. And some of it's not your fault because the offensive line apparently can't, you know, do basic pass pro. But at the end, like you can't be falling off your back foot and throwing a cross field and throwing picks. Like, <sighs> yep. How yep. am I supposed to have faith in these coaches? <laughs> yes, I. I don't even know where I was going with that. I got distracted thinking about a stat that I. Um, Stat that I heard, and I went back and double checked it. That our um, our quarterbacks had more tackles than our starting defensive line. Like I read that, I'm like, what the hell? Like, how's that? How's that a thing? I mean, didn't someone say something like Hockman has more pick sixes than he does throwing touchdowns or something? Yeah, like, yeah. I was going to check because, like, how they have the Hockman completed one pass. By halftime, the first half, you completed one pass and you go into the halftime and think, yeah, that's not our problem. Definitely not a quarterback situation. Like, what? I I just got to know, like, when you say that, it just makes you say, Leary has done something terrible. Yes. Like, there's no other reason that you would look at the, the stats and say, like, 
we got to we got to put in we got to keep the guy in that's clearly just not on. And all you got to do is pull him off and say, hey, man, it's just not your night tonight. It's OK. You know, this isn't some indictment against you. You know, we'll we'll go work this out in practice this week, but we're going to put in the other guy and just see if he can spark us and get us through here. And maybe we win. You know, punt, INT, punt, 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 touchdown. That was our first six drives. I mean, that's what I was just like trying to say earlier. It's just like, it's not like we were doing, it's not like we were kind of like on, off, on, off, on, off, right? Yeah. It was just off, 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 off. Yeah. So coming, bringing that to the pit game, Pitt's defense is really good. Their rush defense is really good. Louisville had 79 yards rushing, and one of those was a 75 yard touchdown. Like, <laughs> holy crap. That's crazy. Like, the rush defense is really good, so it's going to be a challenge. What what can our rush game? What can our running game do against this really good rush defense? Because I don't know what you're going to get from the passing game. You know, you know I, I think just you know you just go try to attack them however you can, and if you know if you've run into a buzzsaw, like look, I think a lot of us like when we were looking at this year, once the schedule had been revamped, right? Like no one penciled. Well, I think most reasonable people, no one put in ink that we were beating Virginia Tech and Pitt. Like, just from a high-level standpoint, you thought, okay, these guys are going to, they they should beat us, all things considered. And I know that the challenge is, as state fans, is once you start seeing the data come in and you look at these teams, and you're like, well, oh, they look kind of bad. Maybe we were better than we thought. Well, you got to remember, like, I, I just, I feel like I was saying this all offseason. It's like the first three or four games are just are a complete crapshoot. Like, if we'd played Duke or UVA, those teams did not look very good if we'd played them last weekend. If you got the seven interceptions and turnovers or whatever that Duke threw out, we're winning that game easily. Because these early season games right now are kind of just complete clusterfucks for the most part. Well, that's but the thing. At least look solid on defense, which is yeah. like what their card was, right? Yes. That's the you thing, know? though. Like, like our, after our weight game... We were like, all right, maybe that's not going to affect us. Maybe they are better prepared. Maybe they are well coached because they looked really good in Wake. They didn't do anything stupid. They executed. They didn't get you know many dumb penalties. And that was just the complete. I was just it was all gone for this Virginia Tech game. So who the hell knows what you can get from from this team when you go to Pitt? Because like we said earlier, every game on the schedule is 50-50. If the good team shows up, if this bad team shows up, if this Virginia Tech team shows up, then you're not getting anywhere. James asks, is there any way to move the ball against Pitt? Um, forward. <laughs> <laughs> Likely it's going to be backwards for the most part if you look at the Pitt defensive stats. Um, um, you know, like uh, it all just comes down to the quarterback play. Like, Mikael Cunningham is not that good of a quarterback. Um, and when I was watching the little bit of the the game I was watching for Louisville in Pitt is just that it's there. You just got to attack it. And you got to minimize your mistakes. Right. And the problem is like, you know, maybe CJ Riley will be back to hundred percent this week. So maybe it'll, it'll help, but I just feel like our wide receiving core is so meh that yeah sorry it, to interrupt they, it's coming back to haunt us they might be i don't think they're getting any chance to to show that like i, I listened to ips and they were saying the same you know 
why aren't the wide, you know, what are the wide receivers doing? It's like, I think quarterback play was so bad in that first half that you don't, you don't really get a chance to see what they can, you know, what the wide receivers are they good or not. I think there was just so much blah there that, you know, to make a judgment on the wide receivers based on that first half of that game, especially. What I'm saying is we don't have a 2-2 at well. I guess is what I'm saying is we don't have someone that in the passing game is going to, from what I can tell, cause concerns. Um, we don't have a 2-2 at well, right? The yeah, guys- well, we do, but, you know, he's sitting on, he, you know, you wait. My, my man, he's going to show up, Chris Scott, and <laughs> everyone's going to be like, whoa, how, why have we been sitting on this kid? Probably because he's had COVID is my guess. <laughs> and so, yeah, in the, in regards to Pitt, there is a way to move the ball. against. So I watched that Pitt-Louisville game, and Atwell was open. They basically just ran him streaks, and he was open all day. And Cunningham could not hit him. It, we have to do something similar, put a fast guy out there and let him run streaks down the seam because – you know, you got to hit one of those. If Louisville hits one of those, that changes that defense. It pulls it back a little bit. Cunningham could not hit it at all, and I think that was a big problem. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you can – I mean, it's going to come down to can we suck them in and get them overcommitted to stop in the run, right? And we just got to hit either either Ricky or, you know, either one of the running backs has to, has to make a break or someone has just got to make chunk plays, get us in there, let us get – Get in the red zone and see what we can do. I mean, the thing is, like, watching Pitt's offense, they do not look that great to me. You know, and some people are like, well, they're not being asked to do very much right now. But I was like, they may not be able to do really much more. Agreed. Like, they don't look scary. Uh, Ben asked, I I thought we had potential to become above average ACC team this year. Do we still have a shot at going six and five? If not, is this because we don't have enough talent or is it because our coaching staff can't put our players in the best possible position to succeed? So he's asking, can we go 50-50 in the ACC? Can we still go 6-5? and Yeah, and do our coaches suck? Um, Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, I think Leary gives you a better shot. I just think, you know, if, if you have to get in shootouts, Leary gives you an opportunity just based on his arm. I don't think we have to. I mean, the rest of it, after you get through Pitt and Miami, I the rest of this league sorry, looks say, so... Arm. Go ahead. Go What's ahead. that? I don't think it's even his well, arm. I just think his decision-making is was better. Well, look, if you can see, if you can go from one to two in the route <laughs> tree, then, um, yeah, he's an upgrade immediately. Yeah. Um, now, look, we saw what happened after BC last year. Yeah. You know, we, we saw he, but you know what? We also saw the Louisville game where he was, you know, aside from dropping the ball for the most part, he wasn't the problem in Louisville against Louisville. He, for the most part, wasn't the problem against Georgia tech. Like those are games where the defense just cracked at the wrong time and someone made the wrong read and it cost us in both those games. Um. So yeah, I, I do not expect to win these, this game. I don't expect to beat Miami and I expect to be, in a 50 50 brawl with everyone else throughout the rest of the year. So yeah, I think we could still make six and five. Um, I also feel like we said at the beginning of the season, we could look much better after we get through the three or four games. And once Larry gets time to reacclimate himself, than we are at the beginning of the season. And that just makes sense to me because of how much we missed with springtime with installing these systems. So 
I want to see Leary in there and I want to see him soaking up as many reps because quite frankly, I expect him to still be the starter going into next year. And I think the last four or five games of the season are going to look completely different for us as a squad than the first four or five. So just get through it, be healthy, stop losing safeties and linebackers, and maybe we'll be better. Put your best players in the field is what I would say. Uh, Billy D, how long before we hear the injury excuse again? Yeah, like he said, he he immediately brought up Tanner Ingle and Peyton Wilson. I think he might have been asked. But yeah, and, and that set me off as well because you just played a team losing 20% of the roster, down three quarterbacks, missing two coaches. And the first thing you say is, well, Peyton Wilson and Tanner are hurt. I mean, if he was asked about it in the context, yeah, that's fine. But like, I don't want to hear the injury nonsense again. What? Yeah, I, I mean, what it. you say is nothing I can say right now really matters. They were down 23 team players. They lost their starting quarterback in the middle of the game due to cramps. Like, why Why are we talking about Peyton Wilson and Tanner Ingle right now? Like, thank you for the right. question, but there's no reason for me even bring this up. We are missing a couple of players. It's not really a good excuse. Next question. I'm salty, yeah. Dave. You should answer his questions for him, Nolan. I, that, I thought I thought that was what <laughs> Ruffin McNeil was brought in to do. Like teach him how to do the smart things yeah. with the media. He's right. just missing the chance. Uh, he also says, looking at Didi's t- record over his tenure, how in the world are we okay with him? But yeah, I think we've beat that drum enough so far. This podcast. Well, Go ahead. I, I will just say this: I there is no point in including that first year as far as his record. I and I feel uh, it. It, once you take that out, you see what I think I was talking about earlier, where he's basically kind of a three and five, four and four. Like he he oscillates like many programs do that are decent but not very good. That yeah, when you when everything clicks, you get that five or six win ACC season, and then the other years you're fighting uh, on thin margins between a three and five, four and four, five and three type type year. Yeah, and. Years, you know, I just feel like I went back and looked through the roster and I was just like chuckling to myself looking at like the 2012s, 2013 rosters. Um, you know, like the offensive line aside from Joe Thune was such a joke. Um, uh, well, that's probably not fair to Tyson Chandler. I'll give Tyson Chandler credit. That guy was a mammoth, but like he had so little to work with. There's all those like like insider comments where he said something to like a high school coach, like, Hey, I had better, I had more speed at, at my, at Northern Illinois than I have on this current roster. He had Pete Thomas and a backup wide receiver turned into a quarterback in, in Mitchell, uh, his, his first year, like how were we supposed to succeed with that? The one thing that was kind of funny people overlook is that the defense for the first year was actually pretty good. Um, he had a lot of key guys that he could count on. And so, you know, if he had had any semblance of offense, he should have won a few games. If he had a quarterback, he probably would have won two or three games because that defense actually kept us in it way longer than they should have. Um, and then you start seeing what he has to do transitioning that roster from what TOB left us to, you know, what he was building. So, you know, by year three or four, yeah, he's finally got his first round of recruits aging up and playing. So, like, there's a part of me that's kind of like, I don't even know how you look at the first few years and even factor them in. 
to me, what is important is what happened once his the bulk of his classes started showing up, and what did he do? Well, he he want, had two good seasons with with Finley, though uh, underachieving in some capacity, and now you're seeing that the team without a dynamic NFL type quarterback looks pretty bad, and. You know, that's where I start saying, like, I question this guy's capabilities. And this is why I feel like system matters because he paints himself as this great program builder. But I think he has made things really difficult. I think he's kind of underachieved. And unless Tim Beck can really simplify it and make these this type of quarterback room that he's got work, I just don't see a a real future with Dave. And like you said, I think he, he works better at a program like a, you know, he, he would have been fine at Tennessee. He would have got players. He would have probably got them to be relatively disciplined yeah. and he could have made them good. They would have still fired him because Tennessee's fucking nuts, but he's not a guy I think that can take a program like state really to a next level consistently. Yeah. That answers the next question too, but uh, Billy D also says, I think Carter could be a very good wide receiver. I agree. I think he showed, he's shown pretty well so far. He did last year too in limited, limited time, a wide receiver rotation, something probably for another podcast. I think is a little strange, um, but whatever. Uh, what are your thoughts <laughs> on Dave's program? Where does he go from here? Blues conversations. Yeah. I think we talked about that. Uh, I think, I think we'll just covered it pretty well. Uh, and we've probably complained enough. Yeah, I feel sorry for anyone that's listened to this bitching session. I mean, I yeah, at least they know we're all we're all in together here. Uh, another question: essentially, three lackluster recruiting classes, talent evaluation misses, no real talent, any of the skill position shows. Coach D seems like a good man, but the time might be appropriate to go in a new direction. I think that's kind of where we're all at: is that we we like him as a person. He seems like a nice guy doing it the right way, you know, all that stuff. But you got to win, man. Got to win. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> – Yeah, you don't need to respond to that. It's it's self-explanatory. Uh, I just think a lot of people need to recognize, like, we're cash-strapped at this point. And yeah, that's what he probably... goes on to say. Data change will be made based on his relationship and COVID-19. Crazy to say, but pandemic might be a lifeline for Dave Dorn. Who knows if you're a big money booster, if there's any of those left, maybe they change their mind. I, I don't know. We've seen it happen before. I mean, I got to think if I had that much money, I might be considering it. But, who knows? but I mean, what is the, even the number at this point? And again, I think my, my issue is just like, are you going to be able to pull anyone worthwhile right now? You know, like, are you going to like our, our, our coach is going to say, it's a freaking pandemic and you guys are firing guys like this season's been nuts. Like that might really restrict your player pool too. So that's why I think, you know, nothing happens until next year. Unfortunately, it really depends on how this ends up. Right. If this, if he ends up middle of the road, fine. If he ends up one in seven or whatever numbers are going to be like, I don't think anybody's going to do that. I don't think anybody would second guess that. And plus, if you're a coach looking for an opportunity, you don't really give a crap, right? You're going to go, Hey, they have resources. They have talent. I could win there. So yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Jason says, if Hawkman starts, do we riot? Yes. 
Uh, more seriously, should Hockman get the McKay treatment and go down third in the depth chart? Interesting question. What do you think? No, I mean, I think he should be second. I always thought that we made a huge mistake in the McKay thing, and um, I still think McKay could, based on oh, what God, we saw here we <laughs> I still think McKay would have won you a couple. Look, McKay would win that Syracuse game. I don't care. I think he would have done it. I, I, I have never understood. I have no problem with with, with McKay going down a level, and um, uh, you know, it's just Leary's never or th- those guys just didn't really deserve to win the, the gig last year. Um, I think you kind of saw that the team kind of quit in some ways because of that, but. No, Hockman should be second because he's probably the second best quarterback in that room right now. I mean, if Finley can beat him out in legitimately and is ready to be the number two, then put Finley at number two. Like, but manage manage the room correctly. That's why I just never understood last year why they promoted those two when it was clear from all accounts that they looked like shit in practice. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Uh, yeah, we, next one is Dave on the hop seat. Yeah, we talked about that. I don't, I don't know, not yet. Uh, Quentin's weird question: Is it wrong to eat a tomato like an apple? No, tomatoes are delicious. I have a big tomato garden, so yeah, you can eat as many tomatoes as you want. Oh, my tomato garden got destroyed by all the rain. Uh, yeah, a lot of mine burst as well. Another question: Since the Texas A&M loss in the bowl game, we haven't seen a great product on the field. We've seen some bright spots. Prior to that, there was momentum in the program. Do you think that was turning point that will end Dorn at State? That's an interesting question. Uh, it feels like it. It feels like that game really uh, maybe kind of showed – we got big boyed in that game, right? I heard somebody else use that phrase before. We got big boyed, and we got big boyed in this Virginia Tech game. I had yeah. n- not a good feeling. Very similar games in that in that regard, right? We just got pushed around. I, yeah, I don't I, know. I think this is what happens when you don't win enough recruiting battles, and you know, I, there's nothing wrong with having a bunch of two and three star guys on your team, but typically those guys don't really show up uh, until their junior and senior years, yeah. and state is in a division where that's not acceptable. And like, I'm sorry, man. Like you just gotta go bring in the dudes and shape them up. And it's, it's just, to me, it's just like, it comes down to wide receiver recruiting. It comes down to defensive back recruiting. Like you never seem to get these alphas and game breakers. And just like all of a sudden you realized it last year, like, I keep thinking to myself, how good, how much better would Kelvin Harmon and Jacoby Myers have been if there was one more legitimate threat at wide receiver to pair with them? And just a speed guy, like a real, a real game breaker could have really changed that team and took it to the next level. These guys, I I just feel like they bought into their hype when they had the pack 14 class turned out to be just exceptionally good with all the draft picks. And they just seem to like not recognize like, oh, you need to consistently get playmakers. Right. And here we are. Mahesh asked, why weren't there any Spurtle commercials during the Virginia Tech game? 
I made that up. That's what I would say. <laughs> I made that up. He says, why are we not able to pressure the quarterback? Is it due to scheme personnel, et cetera? Yeah, we talked about that early, early on. I really think that whatever is going on with the defense, they're not creating enough disruption by creating enough confusion. They are back to playing in base and you you can't win with average talent with whether you're running a four three, a three four, a three three five. Like if you're just gonna play base and you're gonna let teams know what's what's coming, right? You just not not in college, it doesn't work. And I think that's that we're seeing that. Uh, why do you think Leary was put in so late based on his limited performance? Yeah, I think he punched somebody's wife or I don't know what it, what it was. It's something I weird like is happening. It's going to get revealed that somehow Devin it was directly related to the COVID outbreak on the team and that they are just punishing him for that in some capacity or he should have been back sooner, but he got himself caught up in a contact trace just because he wasn't responsible. I feel like it's going to be some dumb stuff like that. And that's why they're just like, we can't trust him. Like, you know, it just makes (laughs) no sense. You can't talk all off season about how he's the guy, he's the starter. He's really, you know, won the team over. He's got the chemistry, blah, 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 blah. Like, there's just something there and we got a couple questions should we be worried about the secondary in general it's never been good under door and i don't blame the players coaching i think our secondary has not been awful i think battles has been okay uh you know ingle hurt i think there's um maybe some learning curve there what if ashford's okay you know you know those sorts of things but you know the corners i think they they have played better They've, you know, played the ball. They haven't been just toasted and out of position. The, the real issue is the defensive front not getting any pressure, so they're not getting any turnovers. The defensive, you know, backs have to cover for a long time. And, I, you know, I think that's really putting some unfair pressure on the, the secondary guys. Now, I thought Tyler Baker Williams had a rough game in this Virginia Tech game. We were in the chat and we kept saying, who's that? Oh, that's Baker Williams. Who's that? Oh, that was Baker Williams again. Now, I don't know how much of it is because he wasn't getting the help he needs. We saw some of that with Ingle last year. But, yeah, for the most part, I, I don't think that front is helping the back seven or the back five enough in this in this setup, in this scheme. Yeah. Yeah, I think – yeah, to me, I just I feel like again, it just seems like same story every year. It's like you need Ingram, Palmer, Ingle, like you need everybody, all hands on deck, and it, we just haven't had just the full room available to us since probably I guess the Syracuse game of last year. And I think that's the problem is just because you were constantly re- had a revolving door back there all off season, and then you still don't have back all those guys during this off season, like they just look discombobulated because they don't have any chemistry with each other. They're it's just every game we're having a shift in a new person. Um, and I think that could be a big factor. Um, some it people could think, be, I some think people don't think Ingram's very good. I know where this is going. No, uh, um, that wasn't going to go there. I've already said, okay. That. But I think that's a, I just think that's a big thing is just, even if your starters aren't just world beaters, I think having those guys there 
to gel is important. And I feel like, I don't know. You also, you just can't put Tyler Baker. I don't How can you talk about Tyler T-Bake? How can you talk about T-Bake all off season about how he's the best player on the team, right? And then he's just getting worked. Now, some, I will work. say he was like riding that coverage pretty hard at sometimes. And I'm like, how is this not pass interference on either party? Like, that's another thing I don't understand. It's like, are the refs, did they like have like a group discussion before the season started and just say like, hey, we're just like kind of not calling penalties this year. <laughs> right. No holding. Virginia Tech was holding all day. No PIs. Yeah, it was really uh, there's weird. Face, there's face masks that they're just missing that are like really blatant. Like, um, I can't remember if it was Drake or not. But one of the guys got through the line and clearly got face masked. And it's right in front of the official. And it doesn't get called. That fumble the week before, super obvious. Like, I, I don't, I kind of like don't understand what's going on. I, maybe the maybe the refs just are kind of like out of it just as much because they're trying to stay away from the players. And maybe the, I don't know, man. It, it, it just seems like there's a lot of stuff where they're just like, oh, let them play through it. Like, the season's meaningless. Seems to be the mentality. Yeah, recruit better players is what I say regarding secondary. If 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 one guy going down throws everybody off, recruit better players, better prepare your players who are not starting. Right, those guys need to get more snaps. They need to get more reps. They need to do. They need to be better prepared. I think it's something we talked about. A, you know, a while ago is that in these blowout games, especially the quarterback position, and bring this goes all the way back to Chuck, like. Put somebody in who's going to be your guy eventually and get him some snaps, get him some reps in these games where you're ahead or down a lot. Like, put somebody else in, get them experience. That shows in these situations where somebody gets hurt and you got to come in. And now, you're, now we're like, eh, you know, or we don't have enough players or are they not good enough or are they not ready? Like, if they're not ready, that's on you as a coach to get them prepared. So. Uh, I'm done buying in with somebody got hurt and then we had to put somebody else in. Like you've, you've talked enough about these guys. These are your players. You've wanted to recruit. They're not freshmen anymore for the most part, you know, get over it, coach them better, get more out of these guys, do something different with your scheme. If you know, to take some of that pressure off of them, right. Change that up. So all right, how, I don't know how long this podcast is, but we've been ranting on for a while. That, that was all of our questions. I don't know if you have it. I don't have anything else. How are you feeling about this pit um, game in thirty seconds? Um, you know, can't wait for it to be the next game. <laughs> I think it's winnable. It depends what team shows up. That's that's what I'll say. I don't think Pitt's offense scares me a whole lot. I, what? Do, are we? What are we going to do to make them look really good? Is probably probably the question. It's hard to imagine winning this game if Peyton Wilson's not healthy, if Tanner Ingle's not healthy, if you know. Um, it's I just I we cannot win unless this defense improves, right? And you know if you can keep it, I guess I'd be happy if we just keep it close and don't look like a sieve. Yeah, we really look like a sieve. I don't. I don't like that. All right, folks, that's all we got. That's a lot of it. And we'll have the game chat again this week, probably on 1130 or something like that. If you want in, let me know. Uh, Game's at 12. At least we don't have to wait all day for it. So uh, that's all I got. Go Pack. Go Pack. (laughs) You all know.
exactly who I am. Now, <laughs> say my name. We must pay homage to him. Justin Fuente. 